0: It is making me wonder what is next. Thrawn's back and Ahsoka's left behind. I got to see where both of those things go next. Definitely left us wanting more. I wish
1: it were longer. We were on the cusp of more hoo-ha. I wanted it and I know I shouldn't. everyone to Krypton 2 Alderon. I'm Joey, your Star Wars lover, and with me is Royish Good Looks. Hello, podcast. Hello, Joey. Hello, old friend. We're the podcast that analyzes nerdy pop culture, but it's mostly Star Wars. In this episode, we'll be talking about Ahsoka Part 8, the Jedi, the Witch, and the Warlord. Ooh, and maybe also a little bit of part seven dreams and madness because we weren't able to record an episode last time. So here we are, maybe two in one. But first, hey, you know what's great about YouTube? YouTube's been pushing out our stuff to a bunch of new people lately. It's really cool to see, checking the analytics and being like, hey, YouTube is helping us out. So if you're new here, check out our past episodes on Ahsoka. We've been covering it all season. And at least we have tried to follow a common thread throughout the show. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And everyone, please consider following and subscribing for more and comment. We'd love to know what you thought of the finale. We'd love to know what you thought of the show overall. We'd love to know what you thought of Hugh Yang, the <laughs> Krypton to Alderon fan favorite character. Get in the comments. Let us know. And give us a follow on social media. Ahsoka's over. No one knows what's coming next. So to keep up with us in between episodes, just search Krypton 2 Alderaan on any social media platform. And we'll be there. And you'll be there. And And then then we'll we'll both be be there. there. (laughs) (laughs) In the words of Shakira, I think. Shakira. (laughs) That's all the things. Royce, punch it. Okay, here we are. The end of the road. The pathway to Peridia has ended. Or has it just begun? Actually, what we've done is just swapped the characters out. Did we talk about that earlier in the season? I feel like we talked about the potential for that to happen, and now it's happened, all the characters that were there
0: are not there, and then vice versa. We talked a lot about the foreshadowing with Ezra saying, hey, I'm going home, right? And like, I don't know if you are. I think they pulled a little bit of a Ryan Johnson subverting the expectation of like, Ezra does in fact get home. Ha ha! That was just a diversion. Yeah, Sabine and Ahsoka are stuck there, and Shin and Balin are stuck there. But Ahsoka, okay with that fact. She says, we just have to move on now, right? I don't know. Unless the Purgles show up, and they fly into the mouth, and they (laughs) go back to... The galaxy far, far away. The issue is that that's where Purgle go to die. Mm. Not to get dark right off the bat. I came to this planet to
1: die. Oh, Ryan Johnson, you've said the magic words. Yes. And in the words of Ahsoka, in a very meta moment, it's time for all of us to move on. Mm. Because... The season is over. So let's go into what we think overall. We've talked a lot. We've had a lot of expectations. How do you think the finale stacks up with the other episodes of Ahsoka
0: and with the stuff that we've been talking about all season? So one thing I think this series has done well is balance, you know, a lot of new, hoo-ha, magical things, but a lot of (laughs) classic Star Wars box things. It's finding a good balance of everything. Uh, Living Mm. in kind of the middle of the fandom for me of like whether you want, easy adventures with Mando or the really political thrillers of Andor. Like, Ahsoka balances a lot of that for me. And series finale, I had theorized we'll get a really big cliffhanger on episode seven and someone will get captured and then we got to rescue them in episode eight. And episode seven did not leave us off with a cliffhanger at all, really. It was, that was the scene where Ezra's like, I think I'm going to go home, guys. It was kind of like a happy ending and not super looming. You know, the threat wasn't really there. And then we pick up with the kind of Hunting down Thrawn for the actual finale, we got plenty of action, so we're satisfied there. We got some answers with the mystical great mothers, grandmothers,
1: <laughs> great mothers,
0: great grandmothers. And they're probably somebody's <laughs> grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we we got some clarification there of like, are they going to make some like zombie troopers? Like all of the things we we're speculating on earlier in the season come to head in the finale, which is to be expected. But it really wasn't as As much of an event as I would have expected, like Mandalorian season finale, where like they're kind of having the boss battle with Moff Gideon at the end, and there was almost some more higher stakes there, where you thought like some characters were going to be not making it through, but still really satisfying conclusion in that it is making me wonder what is next, which is another thing I think Ahsoka did really well is you know you're following this story very linearly, we're going from A to B to C to D, no BS in between, and now Thrawn's back in the original galaxy and Ahsoka's left behind. And I got to see where both of those things go next. 100%. And Balin and Shin. I am much
1: more interested now in where Balin's going next as well. But yeah, you're right. We get the battle at the end with the zombified night troopers and we get the battle between Ahsoka and Morgan, but there's no boss battle with Thrawn. You're not going to battle Thrawn. He's too many steps ahead of you, right? Even when he's like getting visibly frustrated on screen when they like get into the temple and stuff. We we do this all the time here. We just skip right to the end. <laughs> but yeah, he's he's like, I learned a lot from you today. You were a worthy opponent. I would have expected nothing less from the Padawan of Anakin Skywalker. Today, victory is mine. Peace out. There was no chance of having a one-on-one with Thrawn
0: because he's just too good.
1: And that's what I love about that big blue bastard.
0: I think that was a great way to write his character, you know? Like, what were they going to have, a fist
1: fight with him? The only time we ever see him, like, get physical is in Rebels when he's, like, sparring with the droids. He points his blaster at Bendu at some point in Rebels. And those are like the only times that I can remember of him like actually in
0: some physical combat.
1: There was just no chance.
0: I love how you mentioned that he was getting frustrated too because he knew he wanted to escape. You know, if the Jedi get on the ship, that's going to be very bad. So he's like, come on, we got to go. Still keeping his cool though. And, you know, they don't quite. I guess Ezra gets on the ship, but he gets away, you know, and at the end of the day, he gets the last word. I love that. For the Empire, blast (laughs) out into space. I would have been happy if they cut it there. And I think this is another thing that Ahsoka has kind of done in a lot of its episodes of like, oh no, is that where the episode's gonna stop? And then they keep going a little bit. The episodes are not very long in general. We kind of averaged out at that like 40 minute range for like the majority of the season. I think that the episodes felt short but they always left me wanting a little bit more and I was always like no don't end here don't end here even though they had a lot of opportunities like that they could have cut it off early and been very cliche of just that cliffhanger with Thrawn And then no information of where everybody wound up afterwards.
1: This was the first episode that I was kind of constantly checking the time. I was disappointed when we found out that it was only going to be about 50 minutes. I was hoping we'd get something bigger and longer. Definitely left us wanting more. The only issue with me is that it's going to be like two years before we see the next steps, at least for Ahsoka. You know, there's no plans as far as I know, right, as of this recording for a season two or anything like that. So who knows when we'll see the characters again, but I wish it were longer. I'll put the gif of Kylo Ren in here shouting more. I really wanted more because we were on the cusp of more hoo-ha
0: and I wanted it and I know I shouldn't. I I agree, you know, especially with like the Balin stuff. I fell in love with Balin's character and Shin as well. I kind of really liked both of them. and We got such interesting dynamic with Balin and Shin in episode seven you know, Shin having to do the dirty work without Balin, and that was a really interesting way to evolve their dynamic. And then Balin being so upset when Ahsoka beats him, you know, he's just so mad. And then when we see them in the finale, we don't get any dialogue. We just kind of get to guess like, did Shin go and murder all those people like Anakin style Mm. in Attack of the Clones, you know, with the Tusken Raiders? Or is she going to lead those people? Is Balin you know going to be a hermit or is he on a greater quest that seems to be maybe what it is but that's just where we leave it like you said like i could have gone for more but again with the ryan johnson subverting expectate oh i guess that i take this back with jj <laughs> J. abrams you know setting up the mystery box sort of thing to leave that off of like i need to see where Balin is going you know that's also a great technique for storytelling and that gets me really amped but selfishly yeah i want to know what he's doing next. I want to know what Luke was going to say to Rey immediately at the end of Force Awakens, but such a great way to enthusiastically end a series.
1: Yeah, I hope it doesn't pick up like The Last Jedi picked up. I mean, I I like The Last Jedi, but that opening scene Going from the end of The Force Awakens to the beginning of The Last Jedi is not my favorite thing in the world. Sure. Especially in Star Wars. Yeah, I I kind of love where we left Shin, especially after Episode Seven. We could talk a little bit about that, where she is given the chance to join Ahsoka, to have Ahsoka help her, and she doesn't fight back against them, but she leaves, and maybe she's going to be leading these people. It really feels to me like... They're setting her up. I know you won't be familiar with this, but in The Clone Wars, Asajj Ventress goes through this incredible like character development where she is like Dooku's apprentice, and then Dooku betrays her, and then she's a bounty hunter, and then she kind of helps Ahsoka prove her innocence, and she goes through this whole redemption arc, but she is down in the pits for a lot of it. And that really feels to me, for some reason, like where Dave Filoni is pushing Shin, We could speculate all the live long day about this stuff. But for some reason, I really get that vibe from from where we left things with her.
0: I have a question for you about uh, Shin in episode seven. Were you hoping that she would surrender to Ahsoka and then Ahsoka would heal her lightsaber? Like when she says, I can help you, like surrender your weapon. She specifically is like, give me your lightsaber. You know, let me show you a different way. I was like, oh, Joey's gonna, like, love this if she heals that crystal. (laughs) Everyone's got a white
1: lightsaber. That would have been dope. It would be really cool if they bring Shin into their fold and she heals her lightsaber crystal. But she teaches her a different way. Exactly. She comes far enough along that she heals her own lightsaber crystal. I really wanted it from Kylo. I really don't know why they didn't do it with Kylo, but... Yeah, it would be awesome to see her. I just want more of Shin in that, like, redemption role. So in part seven, we see Ahsoka get reunited with Sabine and Ezra. What do you think? So we talked some about, like, her exiting the world between world and not necessarily knowing exactly what's right, but still learning, right? But she's made this transformation. And in episode seven, we see her get there and land and offer Shin redemption and miss this reunion, very lighthearted with Ezra and Sabine. And then in this episode, we see her confront Sabine and say, I've made a lot of mistakes, you know, and no one ever stood by me except my master. So I'm going to stand by you. What do you think of that whole development character wise with Ahsoka? Because very originally in the show, she's very like forlorn and lonely and is taking on all of this regret in her mind, abandoning people. But now we've seen her transformed.
0: Yeah, I think Hugh Yang uh, made that relationship make a little bit more sense to me when he's helping Ezra with his lightsaber. And he's like, the relationship between a master and apprentice is as challenging as it is meaningful. And it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. yeah, this is like a lot of Star Wars in a nutshell, a lot of (laughs) life in a nutshell. And so Ahsoka is like, you know, even if I'm flawed, even if Sabine is flawed, even if I can't clearly see the future, which no Jedi can, Like we just have to stick together and be by each other's side. And she kind of clearly states that like to Sabine there. Sabine obviously comes back to help her in the end, even though they did split up during the battle. So like I said, I think Hugh Yang tied that relationship together for me. Because like you're saying, Ahsoka's kind of gone back and forth. Sabine's Mm -hmm. gone back and forth and they were never on the same wavelength. But the whole time, Hugh Yang is like, just stick together and you'll be fine. This is so much more simple than you're making it. But because of this master apprentice dynamic, you guys are constantly battling each other. Come on, like be in balance. And then maybe even with this Anakin scene at the very end, Anakin is looking over Ahsoka and maybe Sabine as well. And he's like, "Okay, great. Those people are working together now, just like I needed to work together with Ahsoka and I should have worked together a little bit more with Obi-Wan. And like it's perfect, like parallel with Obi-Wan and Anakin because they broke apart. You know, you were my brother, Anakin, like it's. I love it, man. Perfect Star Wars poetry moments there.
1: Yeah. Hugh Yang saying that, and then the next exact next scene of them having this interaction is pretty perfect. And again, how far Ahsoka has come with this, thinking that Sabine was constantly making the wrong decisions and abandoning Sabine, to now accepting this and being like, we're more than our past. We're more than our mistakes. You know, exactly what Anakin was trying to teach Ahsoka in that in the World Between Worlds episode. And even balance in when they got to Satos the first time, Sabine tells Ahsoka to go. When they're battling on Peridia, Ahsoka tells Sabine to go. And then at the very end, they come together and fight together. And I think that that is perfect. And a complete, like you're saying, some kind of poetry moment in just wrapped up in this series. I, I... really loved the journeys that these characters went on in eight episodes. I always feel like eight episodes is not going to be enough, especially when we're like reaching episode five or six. And it's like, how are they going to do this in two or three episodes left? But I wouldn't say that I am personally completely satisfied with the ending just because I want more. You know, there's so much there, but I do love... Maybe this is it. Maybe I'm not completely satisfied with the ending, but I do love the way it ended. How's that? I love that it told the story of the journey that these characters went on to the very point where Ahsoka says it's time to move on. And she is ready to accept that. And we see More for the first time, which I think is a great symbol of that. But I said out loud, where have you been? When we see that's Ahsoka's bird, for those of you who don't know, we get a little glimpse of her at the very end. She also represents the daughter of these, of the force, the Mortis force gods, which we don't see in the mountain carving at the end. We'll talk about that. I really want to talk about that at some point. So let's not get off air before that happens. But just, yeah, the culmination of everything is everything I loved, and even the balance in like swapping characters from one galaxy to the next. I do want to talk about that. I might not think that Sabine saw Anakin. I'm, I think she might be talking about something else. But that ah, is Ah, yes. I love this. More, Let's talk about more, that speculation. <laughs> that's more left field theory. <laughs> I don't know if I should do it now or wait till the end. I do also want to talk about Sabine as we're talking about Ahsoka and her journey through all of this, the through line that we've been trying to connect as we've been going through every episode. What does it mean to be a Jedi? Really surrounded this kind of ambiguity and bait and switches having to do with Sabine. Does she have force attitude? Does she not? Yu Yang tells her she's the worst he's ever <laughs> seen. But we finally get an answer in this episode. They built it, they built it, they built it. Even in this episode, they built it a little bit with her, like, trying to help hold the door open, right? Mm, yeah. uh, but we finally <laughs> get an answer after this whole season this is like the main question, I feel like. How do we feel about Sabine actually having force aptitude? Did we actually think it was going to happen? And how do we feel that it happened? I think this is like maybe the most divisive part of this show. Mm, mm.
0: <laughs> Phrasing it like that, I am maybe conflicted on it mm. because I do think it's beautiful that Ezra's building his lightsaber. He turns around to be like, hey, did Ahsoka ever teach? Like, he doesn't finish the question. But it seems like he's going to say, like, you ever build a lightsaber with Ahsoka? Like, it's pretty cool. I just built one. See? And she's not there. Like, she's probably a little bit jealous of that or, you know, feeling a little bit, you know, down on herself. But she goes to talk to Ahsoka and she's like, I'm getting better with my lightsaber. Almost trying to impress Ahsoka, you know, having just come out of the lightsaber building closet with Hugh Yang and Ezra. And Ahsoka turns to her and she's like, "Uh, here's a little secret. It's not about lifting rocks or lightsabers. I mean, so much of Ahsoka is a love letter to Empire Strikes Back. Like, there's, yeah, that's mainly the parallels. Like, (laughs) you could almost take every beat from Empire and it's somewhere in Ahsoka. That's another pin in the like, don't worry about the cliche things, like moving the rocks, having a lightsaber. Like, there's more to it than that. But then when she actually finally uses the force to grab her lightsaber or push Ezra or maybe hold that door open, that crosses the bridge of like, What it means then, because now it's clarified that she's got the ability to manipulate, you know, things in 3D space. I don't know if that makes it less special to me, or like if we're supposed to just be stoked that she finally tapped into it, that's probably what's intended that she didn't have the aptitude for it. But when the stakes were finally there and when she finally believed in herself enough, she was able to get there. But at the same time, I think it would be romantic if she just embodied the ethos of what it means to be a jedi but didn't have all those superficial things like i don't even think she needs a a lightsaber either like when ahsoka says hey turn to your blasters because you're not really doing much with the lightsaber anyway like just go back fall back to what you you are best at same thing with grogu you know does he need the mandalorian armor to be a mandalorian does he need the lightsaber to be the jedi we constantly are blurring those lines in newer star wars so i'm a little conflicted that she's force pushing Like, they one-upped it immediately. That Maybe that made it a little more difficult for me, that it wasn't just like, I'm using all my strength to get the lightsaber. To then the very next scene, she's like, no problem, I'll push, you know, 150-pound dude over this ledge here. Like, that's a pretty big jump from lightsaber. But we've also seen big jumps in force power usage throughout Star Wars as well. So it's not unheard of. That's how I feel. I guess, yeah, I'm still conflicted, even with after that rant. The force push is something that she's
1: seen Jedi do a hundred times. It was a very Rebels, like, Kanan and Ezra move. They did that all the time, where one of them would jump and the other would push them. Mm. It was kind of their signature move. Got it. So she's seen it a bunch, and maybe that gave her more confidence in that. I will remind you of something that you've said before that might be part of Krypton to Alderon's bucket of catchphrases. Everyone's a little bit broom boy. So... I will say that I was conflicted up until the moment that she was reaching out for the lightsaber. And then I was rooting for her 100%. In that exact moment, I was like, come on, Sabine, do it. And she did it. And it was awesome. So that precise moment in the show, in this episode, turned me around completely on it. I would have loved the idea if she's embodying everything it means like you're saying. But that moment really turned me around on, okay, we've been talking about this all season. What does it mean to be a Jedi? Anyone can access the Force. It's in all living things. You know, talent is a factor, but anyone can connect to it. Hera can hear what's going on in the world between worlds, whether Jason's acting is the conduit or not. And Sabine can tap into it as well. Everyone has access. Everyone's a little bit broom boy, and we see her get to use it. And I thought that that was really, really cool. I wish she had force pulled her helmet she like ah at some point she runs over and picks up her helmet yeah. and i was like ah <laughs> man but yeah i thought it was awesome and i thought it was great to have her have that scene with ezra even if it is like a jumping ability because it tied in with rebels so much for me i've seen it a hundred times in rebels and then he also does a very ezra rebels thing where he like puts himself in the stormtrooper armor. Yeah, right? I love they, that. I love they that. Make, they start to make fun of that in Rebels. Like, we're doing this again. How many times is this going to work kind of thing? So very cool to see that happen as well. So I guess me as a character, as an audience member character, have has also have also developed because I was conflicted, but then really happy to see it when it actually happened. And I think it also speaks to Ahsoka and the journey that Ahsoka made. She maybe wasn't the best teacher before and maybe now is like much more connected, much more balanced, a much better teacher. And because of that, her Padawan is better. We do these, we go through so much of this, especially in Star Wars. I was thinking about this because of Balin and Shin. And Balin lectures Shin in episode seven about their paths being different. And Jedi do that to their Padawans. They always are blaming their Padawans for their mistakes, right? Maybe that was part of Anakin's lesson as well, because the master is always blaming the student when it's kind of like, well, you taught them. So if she's power hungry, it's like kind of because of you and your teachings, like you had time to correct this. You can't just be like, ah, there's no hope for you or he has no patience or any number of things that. We've heard masters say about their Padawans, blaming them for the way that they act because of the way they were taught. You know, we talked a few episodes about um, Ahsoka's pedagogy, and I think that this is really a much more healthy relationship because she walks up to Sabine and says, I made mistakes. My master was always there for me, and I'm going to be there for you. And that changes things for Sabine. I think there's a lot to be said there. We could talk all day about how I really sometimes don't like the Jedi because of the way they treat each other and because of the way they treat the rest of the world and blaming their Padawans for their mistakes, I think has been a big part of this until now.
0: Yeah, and that's a perfect flip side of the coin with Balin and Shin who are separated at the end of the series with Ahsoka and Sabine together. And like you're saying, Ahsoka even accepting like, don't worry, Sabine, that you kind of got us into this quarrel because we got Ezra home. Like, yeah, Thrawn returned, but Ezra is home. And, like, that's the balance of things, and she's okay with that. Whereas Balin's like, Shin failed, you know? Like, Shin was blindly following Balin up until that last two episodes, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess she was kind of questioning, but she was always doing what Balin said to the best of her ability. She fails the combat in episode seven, and then they totally split up, you know? So it is the opposite of Ahsoka and Sabine. Yep, 100%. Uh, It's a good note, I think. So there's one more thing that I really love about that uh, Sabine, Ezra force-pushing, force-grabbing the lightsaber scene. And, you know, I'm always harping on, like, use the darn source material music yeah. in these episodes, you know? And ah. someone's trying to grab something, you know, they're in the middle of a battle, and, you know, the score is going crazy. It's a really, like, in-your-face arrangement. So when she's grabbing the lightsaber, it's not your stereotypical force moment. I should listen to it again, I suppose, but It wasn't blatantly in your face, but we do get it blatantly when she does the force push in the next scene. So kind of riding on the coattails of the like, her one-upping her skills, that's maybe the true moment when she's maybe quote-unquote mastered it. Believe me, I can do this, Ezra. It's not her like guessing and checking. She's like, no, I know I can do it. We have to do it now before it gets even harder. And boom, that's where they put in the force theme. And so I thought that was great because we also never... Maybe I shouldn't say never because who knows? You get in the comments and tell me where I'm wrong, <laughs> haters. But they use that theme and it's there. Use it, you know? And this series is such a love letter to an original Star Wars movie to bring in that music, yeah. I think is like at that moment, well done. And I think there's only one other uh, really blatant use of main theme music, not Force related, but when C3PO shows up as well, they play the main theme. Not right. quite as triumphant, but it's snuck in there. Thank you, Kevin Kiner or associates on that team yep. for giving us some of those moments as a selfish, like you're saying, I want more. I know I shouldn't. Thank you for completing the Star Wars box. on <laughs> Soko with, with those moments for me. But I do think it works well for Sabine growing her abilities there. It's not like the first time she starts to move a rock, we get the Force theme. We waited to get a moment. That's who she is. It wasn't just luck. It was intention. Yeah. I love that. Yeah,
1: she's finally made it.
0: She understands
1: it. Another thing I think might lend to Sabine like finally getting it is that she's just so real. I love it when shows or movies have this person that's very real, like Carson Teva a few episodes ago being like, all right, whatever you say, let's get going. (laughs) Yeah, like Ahsoka says, let me tell you a secret. Being a Jedi isn't about lightsabers. And Ahsoka's like, it helps. Obviously, it helps in the situation we're in. And then... When she's finally figured out how to use the Force and she's like, Ezra, I can push you. She's like, the longer you wait, the harder this is going to get. Like, she's very real. That seems so Mandalorian to me. And it's perfect. And she's like, I have to do this because I have to do this, right? And so she figured out how to do it. And now she knows she can do it. And that is maybe another thing that's leading her to be able to do more quickly. The more we're talking about this, the less... I know I said I wasn't conflicted, but even less conflicted I'm getting because I just love this, that Sabine can do this stuff now and that she's understanding it. And I love Ahsoka, and the fact that Ahsoka could train her to do it is also something that I really value. There was also a lot of homages, I felt, to Clone Wars Season 7 music, especially as they're running through the temple Which, I mean, makes sense because Kiner wrote it. But it's just cool. It's another thread that connects the things that's really cool to see. Another thread, the Jedi, the witch, and the warlord. Dave Filoni has talked before about being inspired by C.S. Lewis. And I'm not sure if it is the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe that he was referring to. But I think George Lucas came up with The World Between Worlds. But anyway, it always reminded Dave Filoni of C.S. Lewis and the Wood Between Woods, I think it's called, or the Wood Between Worlds, something like that. So he gives like, he I don't know if it was at Comic-Con or something, he gave a talk about that. So also just a cool thing to see, another little like homage to some of the inspiration behind some of this stuff. And specifically referencing the World Between Worlds and, and very mystically hoo-ha. And then we see Balin standing on the statue pointing in some direction and it pans out and we see that it is the father who is the force representation for balance the, the statue is the father the statue is that Balin is standing on is the father who's the force representation of balance and the one to the right that we see when it's the camera's panned out is the son who is the dark side representation and then there's like a destroyed one to the left which would have been the daughter which is the light side representation and the father is pointing to something. This is kind of what I wanted more, obviously wanted more of at the very end, but I'm very excited for the future of this level of mystical Star Wars stuff. Did you have any indication of what those statues were? It doesn't sound like it. I know you haven't seen those episodes of the Clone Wars.
0: Uh, no, and I definitely have to go back to that arc for sure and so I can fully appreciate this. But I definitely wanted more from it. You know, I, I wonder if they trimmed back any further development to show in Ahsoka just because of Ray Stevenson's passing. Like, it's such a bummer that, like, I don't know if they filmed anything else that they'll use in future material, but, like, he's not around to play the character anymore. So whether or not they continue it or if they recast him, that's going to be some big shoes to fill for someone to take over that role. He was pretty badass, especially in episode seven. Like, the scene where he's just standing after Ahsoka bests him, he goes through, like, the six stages of grief in this yeah. one scene, you know he's angry, he's sad, and he looks every direction. Like fantastic acting, and yeah, when he's standing on that, you're like, oh, he's going on a quest. You know, I got a lot of like Lord of the Rings vibes. Like maybe it's the setting of Peridia being so like for sure swampy and like the weather's not great. You're like on this really long journey. You know, it just and even the guy pointing or whatever is like straight out of some yeah. Lord of the Rings design, but yeah, I want more, more of that as well. I don't think we necessarily needed more in the show though. Cause like quote unquote Ahsoka show, Shin and Balin were there to like kind of bridge gaps between things. It's a shame we're not getting a dozen episodes or 20 and we can right. explore all of this stuff, but that's one of the things Ahsoka has done best is just be the straight linear line with minimum BS, right? We took an episode away with Anakin and we took an episode away with Shin and Balin, but that thread still worked really well in the context of the overall story. So I think it's okay that they didn't further expand, but yeah, Yeah. I want more.
1: Yeah, it's very, very sad that Ray Stevens uh, has passed and they cannot further this character anymore. And he did do a great job. And I was also thinking about that scene of him on the mountain and just being like, this guy is not even doing anything and he's (laughs) acting great, right? Like, it's just all so, so good. Just very powerful in every single scene. When Ahsoka shows up on Peridia and he's, like, surprised by it and she says disappointed and he says no, like, you believe him, right? Because he never, he said it was a shame to have to, like, go up against her or kill her. He has like he doesn't want this to happen, but he believes that he's doing it for the greater good, and that is the perfect villain. I think Thrawn is a, is an amazing villain, and I think Balin is an amazing villain, and I hope we see more of at least that character in some other stuff. Give us comic books, give us books, give us whatever else. I'd love to see more of that
0: character's backstory somewhere. So, do you think whatever he was staring at? Is that what uh, Ahsoka and Sabine were kind of staring at as well? And and are you, is that what you alluded to earlier in this podcast (laughs) is like Sabine connecting with Balin, not with Anakin? That's what
1: I think. I don't have the direct quote, but at the end, Sabine says like a shimmer on the starlight or something like that when Ahsoka asks asks her what she sees. And then it pulls back and we see Force ghost Anakin, but... When Balin is on the statue looking out, we can see the reflection from something off of one of those mountains, right? There's something out there that the father is pointing to that Balin wants to get to. And I think that Sabine is connecting with that and not necessarily seeing Force Ghost Anakin. It's, again, connecting both sides of this coin that are like Balin and Shin and Sabine and Ahsoka, and we'll bring them together in the future. I also think that maybe Peridia is a prison I want to compare this to the other Star Wars shows, including Andor. Ezra says that Thrawn woke up the witches, right? He got there, he woke up the witches. And then Sabine says that she sees something shining on the horizon. The father's pointing off to the distance. I'm really getting the vibe that maybe Peridio was a prison where they put these dangerous force users. And there is a particularly dangerous force user that was connected with the father, the son, and the daughter that turned evil that maybe they would have placed there. That's rampant speculation for maybe some other stuff, maybe future seasons. But I-, I can't help but think that way. Listen, I cannot help but to allow my mind to go there because I love this Force lore stuff.
0: Even the way Thrawn phrases his goodbye, he's like, this is where a Ronin like you belongs. Like, this right. is where all the outlaws should be corralled, you know, or at least the way that Very he's true. looking yeah. at them. You know, it's the Wild West. I also get, I don't know if this is just the way the cinematography kind of works out or because Loki is premiering later today, (laughs) but it also kind of looks like the end or whatever in season one of Loki where they send everybody to, you know, when they Mm. remove them from the timeline, they kind of banish people there. And now that you're using the term prison, that's another interesting way to look at it and where all of the Star Whales go to die. It's not really a happy place. Not a happy place. But then we have these naughty people or noty or whoever, and they seem pretty cool and happy and content. They're a passive people, like they only defend themselves or whatever Ezra says. Why are they there if it's such, you know, a desolate, not nice place to be? You know, so there's more to it than just being the prison. And it it would be nice to get more context, whether in season two or comic books or whatever. I probably won't read the comics. I would love to say that This was interesting enough to get me to to buy some comics, but I would love to hear you read them and summarize them back to me. How about that?
1: There's no way that that (laughs) wouldn't happen. So you were just (laughs) I'm just going if if there is ever a comic book about this, I will read it and then speak at you about it. Thanks, buddy. But yeah, I mean, I think the point is that even though I might not have been completely satisfied with the ending, the level of intrigue left is super duper high. It's very unfortunate that we don't know if or when we're getting another season, but obviously it will lend to the excitement of that announcement. But I cannot wait to see where this goes. And I don't even care about Thrawn returning the witches to Dathomir (laughs) or repopulating Dathomir, whatever they're doing, because Dathomir, the population was wiped out by General Grievous. You got to watch the Clone Wars. But anyway, I really want to see Peridia and... The big question the whole season has been, what is Balin looking for? And we do not get that answer, right? We get like maybe halfway to that answer, right? We see the Mortis God statues, but that's it. Mystery box, baby. Yeah, but please don't mystery box us the whole way. That's all I want. I don't want a mystery box the whole way. Okay, long ago, in an episode far, far away, we asked the question, Will Ahsoka be the best Star Wars? What do you think, Royce? How does Ahsoka stack up to the other live-action Star Wars shows
0: that we've seen? Man, you know, to be honest, like, I haven't, I haven't thought about it, so I'm going to fly a little bit by the seat of my pants. I mean, I've thought about it, but I don't have the bullet points yet. As I mentioned a little bit earlier in the episode, like, if you want the scale of shows where Mandalorian is this great popcorn adventure Andor is like, turn on the subtitles and get ready to read... And Ahsoka, I think, <laughs> has that happy, happy middle ground that, you know, uh, Goldilocks. The yeah, or the Bendu middle ground there. I do think it sways a little towards the dark emo side of Star Wars. Like, even though there's hopeful moments and Hugh Yang is fantastic, I think if you remove Hugh Yang from this, it's kind of a really depressing series without mm. that comic relief or that character that, like knows more than the rest and has a clear head and can guide them along. He's sort of like the wizard, you know, of the bunch. Without him, I think I would have a totally different opinion. I think it sits really well in between those extremes. In the grand context, I think it's a great addition to the Star Wars canon as a whole, but enjoyment factor, I think I might've had more fun with some of the Mandalorian episodes, like one off and like the story in general. And I think I love some of the more meaty bits of Andor than this. But it is a great balance of all those things. We did get all this new material. So it's actually like becoming very difficult to grade all these things because they fit in different pieces of the Star Wars canon and the Star Wars box, which is a good thing. If you didn't like this series, that's totally okay because there's all those other series, you know, and everything in between, which is perfect. Thank you for continuing to like find new ground and explore new territory because we have to do that. Since it's so,
1: since you think it's so emo, do you think 16 year old Royce, (laughs) do you think it would have been 16 year old Royce's favorite? No, I would not have had the patience for the hoo ha, I don't think. (laughs) (laughs) Not until you met me. I think that you pointed out some great stuff here. I think that there are many pieces of the pie and each piece of the pie might have a slightly different flavor. There's there's a way better analogy than that. (laughs) But I like it. (laughs) I have liked a lot of what Disney has done with Star Wars. And I really do believe that one thing, one very positive thing Disney has done for Star Wars is starting to actually make it for everyone. You know, everyone always says Star Wars is for everyone. Well, it's not really. And there's a lot of problems with it. But they are starting to broaden the audience. We're bringing more people in with Rogue One and Andor. Andor creates this very new jumping on point for people who don't like hoo-ha and who don't like space wizards and who don't like pew-pews, right? It's so different and it's so, so good. And you cannot bring in a giant Star Wars nerd to make that show. You have to bring in a Tony Gilroy and all of the other amazing people that worked on that show. However. One of the pillars of Krypton to Alderaan is focusing or communicating about what makes Star Wars special to us specifically. And if you give me a piece of the pie that has to do with Jedi lore and hoo-ha and mystical stuff and space whales and night sisters, yada, 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 I will shove the whole piece in my mouth at once. This is my kind of Star Wars, and that's very specific, but this is the Star Wars that gets me out of bed in the morning, you know? This is what is really exciting and special for me. It's what I love to watch. It's what I love to read. And so this, I gotta say, maybe Far and Away is my favorite of the Star Wars series so far. Live action. With Mando, we had no expectations at the very beginning of Mando because we didn't know what, we literally did not know what to expect. All new characters. With Andor, we knew a little bit about it, but still I went into it not really having expectations. The same can be true for a lot of these series. With Ahsoka, I went into it very cautiously because Ahsoka, I've watched her for so long. She is my favorite Star Wars character and maybe going into it already like taken down a peg my expectations were exceeded i loved this show after every episode i said was that the best episode of star wars ever and we got the world between worlds i mean there was so much stuff that felt like this was made for me and i love that and that's what everyone should love i mean don't gatekeep right
0: but love what you love and like be excited about it and that's great and this this is this was that for me right if you're an ahsoka fan or Rebels fan, the show is obviously for you. It hit home for you. I will say it did hit home for me. Like, I love that Kiner used some of the original themes. He's got some great homage themes. Like, the series was fantastic. I do think maybe, like, the Ahsoka and Rebels backstory is another factor that makes it difficult to grade versus, like, Mandalorian and Andor. Sorry to discount Obi-Wan and Book of Boba Fett, but that's just how (laughs) how I'm framing this uh, for now. But Mandalorian, it was, like, a lot of brand new stuff. And even Andor, like, we did have connection to Cassian from Rogue One, but there was a little less backstory than, obviously, Ahsoka and, and Rebels, right? Or Clone Wars. So those are kind of more fresh, which I think makes those easier to, like, bite into if you're on one of those extreme ends. I'm doing all these hand movements uh, on the Zoom call <laughs> that are not going to translate to the pod. But, you know, it's yeah. so, like, that's that's the way I'm thinking of this. Is like If you're on one of the extremes, like, you just want the popcorn or you want the really dense Star Wars political thriller stuff, or somewhere in between those other extremes, you know, that's that's where you're going to lie. The point I'd love to end on is I have so few gripes about the series, right? It's not like it's like, oh, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe it was Palpatine all along, you know? Regardless was, of our YouTube video titles, <laughs> we actually can
1: believe it. <laughs> they
0: didn't pull the rug out from under us, you know? They just told yeah. a really solid story.
1: Yeah, and that is coming from Someone who hasn't been with these characters. I mean, you watched Rebels, but you've, you haven't watched a lot of Clone Wars. So even with that factored in, you're still like, in my mind, rating it high, which I think is also like speaks to the the quality of the show and the
0: storytelling. Right, And we still did get new information with Balin and Shin. Totally brand new, yeah. right? I mean, really, it's all new. Like I've said
1: a hundred times, it's less recreating this and more transitioning from animation into live action, which I think was done beautifully. 100 out of 10 for doing that, Dave Filoni and all the directors who worked on this. So if you want to know more, and if you want to watch that transition happen, go watch the animated shows. They're extremely accessible. But if you don't want to, then I think that's also fine. You're missing out on some of the connections, but you're not really missing out on story beats. So there's time now. We have no idea when the next thing is coming out, so we have plenty of time to go watch Clone Wars. We might get Skeleton Crew, we might get Acolyte next. We don't know. No one knows, so go watch some cartoons in the meantime.
0: Yeah, you know what? On that note, Joey, I think I am going to go back and finish my Clone Wars binge. Here's th- this should be a whole other episode, but if you've listened this far, you're in. So I think (laughs) here's what I want to do. I'm missing, you know, bits and pieces here and there. I think I want to go back to season seven, fill in my gaps, season six, Mm -hmm. fill in my gaps to where it's like a little bit more meaty rather than going back to season one. So I think you're right. With this lull that's coming up, go do some homework if you haven't done it already, Star Wars fans, right? (laughs) Right. Especially that Mortis arc. Gotta go watch that. What season is that one?
1: Uh, the seasons bleed together and they're out of order and you gotta, like, find the order. Don't... I'm not gonna don't do not not do it because of what I just said, <laughs> but I don't remember what season Mortis is in. Let us know in the comments section. Yeah.
0: All right, listeners, we'd love to keep this conversation going. Joey and I could talk all day here on the pod, but it's going to be too hard to edit, so we're going to drop the episode here. (laughs) But we want to know what you're thinking about this season of Ahsoka versus the other Star Wars series. Let us know down in the comments. We'd love to hear from you, or hit us up wherever you like to social media. And make sure to subscribe for more nerdy pop culture, but mostly Star Wars. Thank you for listening to the show today. I've been Royce. I've been Moray. And we've been... Krypton to
1: Mortis. Krypton to Alderaan. Krypton to
0: Alderaan.
1: You know what? I completely forgot that it's our 100th episode. (laughs) (laughs) Funny that I remembered
0: it right at the very end. Darn. Oh, well. We can celebrate 101.